you, Steve. Be careful, I've got a trap up here, so I better watch so I don't <laughs> slip off that. Otherwise, we'll have some comic relief as well as a word this morning. Yeah, you can tell uh, the preacher by the shirt, can't you? Um, that, I do that intentionally so that if you don't like what I'm saying, you can just admire my shirt. Um, what a great morning already. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you for what you're doing in our midst. I just had a real sense um, that the Lord wants us to remind him that he is good. Uh, all the time. All the time. He is good. So good. And he has good gifts for his children. Amen. So I, um, I felt that it was time to have a bit of a family chat today. Uh, we're a family, aren't we? And I just wanted to have a chat about who we are and why we are the way we are, um, for better or worse, and explain that, you know, here at Redemption Hills, we don't aim for perfection. Thank you, Jesus. As you might have noticed, um, with my drum fills in the wrong spots and my stopping where it should have started, we're not aiming for perfection. Because I've been in places where the, the body or the church is aiming for perfection and joy is soon out the door and running down the road. Because the thing about perfection is you will never attain it. There's something that's just always out of reach and, and, and it becomes a heavy burden. So we don't try to be perfect. Uh, we don't aim for perfection, but we do try to be authentic and real which means we don't try to hide mistakes. Uh, like the, when you're on the worship team, it's pretty hard to hide, actually, when you're on the drums. You're right there. Uh, but we are quick to take ownership and make things right if we, make them, if we get things wrong and to live life authentically. Isn't that a better way to be than try to be perfect? So we extend grace to others who try things, because we ourselves appreciate the grace extended to us when we try things. And sometimes that's messy, and sometimes it gets a bit awkward. And I love that. Because there's, there's something beautiful about a church that's a little bit messy and sometimes gets awkward. Sometimes you might hear things that you don't understand, or sometimes you might hear things that you don't agree with. Sometimes you might hear things which are theologically incorrect. Stick with me, I'm going somewhere. You know, when somebody comes up here to give a word, and I'm in Steve's seat there, Mike wrangling for the day, I'm one part excited and one part terrified. <laughs> the reason I'm terrified is because what if they get up here and say that Jesus isn't who he says he is and I've got to like somehow get the mic off them and, and bring the service back on track towards Jesus. But I'm actually one part excited because what's Jesus about to do? What's he about to say? What's going to happen now? And you can't have one without the other. If we have freedom in this place to hear what God is saying, then... There's one part terrified and one part excited, which keeps things exciting in our midst, isn't it? 
Because as we heard this morning, you know, there's so many words where God was breaking something open and we see it connect in with what was happening in the worship. And, we, and, and I don't know if you guys could see it. I can see it looking out here. I can see God touching people sitting amongst you and I can see him ministering in that moment. Ministry doesn't always happen along the front here at the end of the service where somebody prays for you. It can happen wherever you are, wherever you're seated, in the midst of worship. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, and sometimes it just takes that word to unlock something that Jesus is doing in the room. So the prospect of God ministering to us in the moment far outweighs the risk of missing the mark or getting it wrong, in my opinion. And so we have a different kind of, if you've been in churches for a long time, you may have noticed we have a different leadership style here at Redemption Hills than a lot of other churches. That is, our church is led by a team of elders. Russ leads the team of elders, but he doesn't lead the church. The team recognises the church belongs to Jesus and each one of us has a part to play in his church. Elder Steve doesn't have any more Holy Spirit than you. We're all members of Jesus' glorious church. And so the role of an elder here at Redemption Hills is not to regulate, it's not to dictate, and it's not to control. And you may have experienced those in other places, but we don't do that here because the role of an elder is to shepherd and to facilitate what Jesus is already doing amongst his church, to make space for that. Because Jesus grows his church. Not just numerically, he grows his church spiritually. He challenges you. He calls you to press in. He calls you to discern. He grows you and me. He's growing his church as we grow together. So we have what um, Russ refers to as the banks of the river model. So the eldership is like the banks of a river, and that kind of just keeps everything flowing in the same direction. How do we determine what that direction is? Well, it's focused on Jesus. We just keep it flowing towards him. So to that end, we have a meeting leader here at Redemption Hills. They sit in this area where Steve's sitting. He's the meeting leader today. And his role is not just to do the notices. <laughs> Although that is... Part of the role of the meeting leader is to keep us all informed with family stuff and what the family's up to. But the role of the meeting leader is he spends time praying about what God is doing on a Sunday, or he or she or they spend time praying about what's happening on the Sunday with a view to keeping everything focused on Jesus. So that means we have a microphone, and we've said it before, it's not an open mic, but it is a way that you can share what God is doing in the moment with the rest of us. What does it mean that it's not an open mic? What does it mean that it's not an open mic? I'll get to that. Good question. <laughs> Thank you. So, for instance, if you have a word from God like we saw this morning, you would come up and you would bring it to the meeting leader, 
not for them to test whether it's right or not, although they may, but it is so that they can see how does this fit in what God is doing here this morning in our midst. Because they've been um, liaising with the, the worship leader and they've been talking to them and understanding where they're going with the worship and how they're journeying us and where they're journeying us. And, and so that role, as terrifying as it can be, is actually really important because we want to hear what Jesus is doing and we want it to fit and complement what he is also already doing in our midst. So they may say, oh, just wait a while. Or they may say, it doesn't quite fit with what's happening right now. Or um, this happened to Fiona once. Somebody came up with a word and, and Fiona discerned that actually it wasn't a word for the whole church. It was a word for a specific person. And they asked that person to go and pray about who it was for. And, um, and they did and, and it was for a specific person and, and um, there was a great testimony as a result of that. Or you may come up and with a word that's already been spoken two or three times. Well, too late, you've missed your chance. <laughs> you've got to be quicker. You snooze, you lose. So I would like to say when you do share, don't, don't give us your life story. Everyone's really quiet in here today. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to set the scene of the story you don't need emotive or persuasive language because you're not trying to convince us. You know, I was in a service, um, uh, it was a conference years ago in New Zealand and I was there with, with Fee and, um, and we're in the midst of worship and there was sort of like, a, you know, those quiet times and somebody up the back boomed out in those sort of 70s kind of voices. Thus saith the Lord. And then proceeded to give a prophetic word in um, old King James language. I was actually quite impressed he was able to do that. But you know what? We don't need to convince, I don't need to convince you that what I've got is from God. Because if I share something prophetically of the Spirit, it is the Spirit within you that confirms the word. So I don't need to set the scene and I don't need to like convince you that it really is from God and you really got to hear this. I just need to share what is it that God is saying and if God is on it and it is for you, your spirit will come alive to that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, including prophetic words and things like that, messages from him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him, even so no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And gets better. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us from God. The spirit discerns the spirit. If you have a testimony, a great thing for you to do is probably not bring it in the middle of a worship song. 
Because testimonies are slightly different to a prophetic word. A prophetic word is, is something that God is doing in the moment. And it adds to um, the journey that we're on into his presence. If you have a testimony, the best thing for you to do is to either get in touch with the meeting leader during the week or come early and chat to them and say, hey, I've got this testimony, where would it fit best? Sometimes it's great to start the service with a testimony because it positions us in a place of thankfulness and praise. Remember how we enter his courts? With thanksgiving, right? So they're great places for testimonies. Could you chuck me my water, please? Thank you. I've lost my place now. <laughs> Behave, everybody. <clears throat> okay, and if you have a prepared prophecy or a word that you believe is for the church, the correct approach is to submit that to the eldership ahead of time so that the eldership may discern. Remember I talked about the banks? May discern, hey, are these in our banks? Is this in our banks? Is this leading us the way that we're going? Now, just so you know, the meeting leader and the elders and you, we, we don't get things right all the time. Because guess what? Steve's just a person. I'm just a person. And people get things wrong. And in the interest of getting things wrong, I'm going to attempt an analogy to explain the banks. All right, here we go. So when I was a kid, we lived on a farm. And going through the farm, we had a water race. And the water race was very narrow and very swift. Its job was to move the water. And I'd be working next to that water race, you know, I was cutting gorse or whatever, and and it was hot and you just want to cool down. But you can't really get in the water race because as soon as you get in, it takes you. You can't just get refreshed. You end up moving, whether you like it or not, in a direction which you're not sure you want to be going in. Now, nearby was a river. And if I went down to the river, um, we lived in the Canterbury Plains in the South Island of New Zealand, and it's a big alluvial plain. And so when the rivers cross these plains, they spread very wide. It's what's known as a braided river. So if you see them from above, there's all these little rivulets that make up like the braided river. And one bank might be 200 metres away from the other bank. And the result is that the water's only a couple of inches thick where it does run, a couple of inches deep. So you would sit down in the water and you'd get a wet butt, but you would never move anywhere. You, would ne- you couldn't get in. you just sort of sit there and you just sort of stay in one spot forever. But there was also a river nearby that ran through a valley and the banks were just the right amount apart so that the water was deep, but it still moved. And so you could jump in and you could swim around and it was safe for everyone to be in the water and all moving together. How's that? No such thing as a perfect analogy. Take that for what you will. But the benefit of something of us all moving together, 
of freedom to try things is a dynamic, Jesus-led and Jesus-focused service rather than a run sheet by the numbers, every second is important service. I'm not saying God can't move that way as well, because he does. In fact, there's no perfect way to do church. I'm not saying our way is the perfect way. Remember, we don't strive for perfection. All we want to do is make sure that there's room for Jesus to do what he is doing and be aware of him in our service. Not saying, "Uh uh-oh, I've got a countdown clock. I've got to get through my points really quickly. So there is a temptation to remove this because some people would rather miss out on what God is doing than have awkward conversations like today. Or they limit to a handful of people those who are authorised to allow to speak about what God is doing in the moment. But like I said before, we all have the Holy Spirit and we want to hear what he is doing and you have a part to play in this church. So it is easier to keep everything regulated and controlled so there are no surprises, but surprises keep life interesting and exciting and I don't want to be part of a service where I can predict exactly what's going to happen according to the run sheet and every week is the same as the last. Do you want to be part of that? If, you can if you want. I'm, I'm not, there's no judgment here. Like you'll, you'll find churches like that, that's fine. And God still moves. Like, I mean, he moves in spite of us. Um, so our leadership style might be different. It might be a little less overt, uh, but there is still leadership. Um, but it's leadership that facilitates participation and honours Jesus in each of us. Now, I want to... So our leadership style might be different and less overt, but there is still leadership because leadership that we aim for facilitates... I can't say it now. You won't say it twice. (laughs) Leadership that facilitates participation and honours Jesus in each of us. I was reading through James this week and um, (laughs) I just... Should I say this? Um, James is kind of like one of those guys who's like, did he have any friends? <laughs> He's so black and white. Hey? Um, but, and, you know, there's some, there's some verses in the Bible that I'm just like, oh, Jesus, why is this in here? This is one of those verses. So James 3, verse 1. My brethren, let m- not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Why? It's like, can I get a transfer? Administration, send me over there. Uh, <laughs> for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they were so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. So there's something about a teacher experiencing a stricter judgment because of the directional power of words. 
You know, every cult has some sort of dynamic leader that is able to persuade and convince with their words. Words are a powerful thing. So this passage is warning us, hey, make sure that, that you're careful with your words. They, can, they have the ability to steer the ship. And that is why some churches keep tight control. Because they don't want to see it steer the wrong way. But we look at, something, we look at that slightly differently here in that we want you to be aware of the power of words, not control what comes out, but for you to be aware how powerful words are and how they steer things so that rather than us shutting things down, we want to provide opportunity within the banks for us all to grow up and discern and test for ourselves. We don't want to be a church that sits there comfortably and just says, you know what, just tell me what I'm supposed to believe. You've done, all the, you've done all the Bible study. I was working all week. Just, you just tell me what I'm meant to believe, what's right and wrong. But that's a... That's a I won't go there. <laughs> We're called to, to grow up and to know for ourselves. Otherwise, we can get thrown around with every doctrine that comes, comes along. We need to know how to discern a word, whether it's from him or from not. Words are important. So we're going to talk about briefly about prophecy. What is prophecy? Put simply, it is an invitation to partner with God's plan. God has a plan. He makes it known to us. And then he invites us to be part of that or to come on board. Did you know that every Christian can prophesy? And we're all going to try right now. I'm just joking. Numbers 11.29, it says, Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. You can see the prerequisite for prophesying is what? His spirit upon them. Well, that's good, because in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that's now, by the way, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. We have everything we need to prophesy already. We have the Holy Spirit. That means every Christian can prophesy. Simply ask him, Jesus, what are you saying to this person? But why? Why would we do it? Because it's scary. Ah. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. There's something about... Us, as we prophesy, as we release God's promises and what God is saying into the lives of other people, it builds up his church. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3, But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to all men. So that means a prophetic word is strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. Or if you like to, um, 
Say it a different way. It will build up, stir up, and cheer up. (laughs) And let me tell you, if your prophetic word is not doing these three things, then it is one of two things. Either it is not a prophetic word, or you have heard a word from God, but your interpretation is not correct. If it is not doing strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. So whenever you get a word, if you're practicing prophecy and and you like getting words for people, when you get a word, it's always wise to give the word to yourself and ask yourself at the end of that, oh, do I feel strengthened, encouraged, and comforted? Because if you don't, then you need to go back to the Lord and say, what are you actually saying here? Sometimes you may receive a word of knowledge or prophecy and while you strongly believe that God has given you this word, you struggle to see how it might strengthen, encourage and comfort. So you can go back and you can ask him, you can say, how should this word be delivered? Sometimes the Spirit shows us something so that we can pray about it, so that we can come alongside, that we can encourage and we can support and nothing actually needs to be said. So follow the leading of the Lord so that his love is the result. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. So first of all, it says, let two or three prophets. We don't prophesy in isolation. So if you have a word, sometimes you might need to take that to an elder or a mature person that you trust and to allow their discernment. And be careful of your personal echo chamber. Because sometimes you can surround yourself with people that think like you and believe like you and have the same theology as you and so you can all sort of get together and ratify one another's words but actually we need to take it to people who think a little differently or maybe see things differently and see, test this word. Is this from God? Remember, words are important. They can steer the whole ship. We need to be diligent. And it's important that we're humble enough to allow our word to be challenged. Now, half of you are probably sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm off the hook because there's no way I'm ever getting up here. No way. And that's fine. <laughs> oh, I, feel, I feel the Lord saying that you got no. <laughs> but l- let me explain something. Just as there is a responsibility in giving a prophetic word, we all have a responsibility to receive a prophetic word and to know how. So you may never, you may never say anything up here, but you need to know this because prophetic words will be spoken into your life. Some of them from here, some of them from people around you, some of them from wherever. And you need to understand how do I receive this prophetic word. God doesn't control our mouths. So we must be careful 
not to add our own thoughts or ideas or even interpretations to a word, just manifest what God is saying. I've already said that before. Even on my best, holiest day where I've, I've got up and I've read the Bible for 15 hours and then I've like done 20 hours of prayer walking and then I've like, you know, fed the, the homeless and clothed the sick and whatever, it done all the right stuff. Even on my best day, there's some of me in what I give in a prophetic word. When, when Russ, if Russ has a word of knowledge and he stands up here and he delivers an accurate word of knowledge, he's still speaking it with an American accent. Still some of him and what, what he's giving because the Lord uses our mouths to deliver this stuff. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. So we are to value the prophetic, but... While we're valuing the prophetic, we also are to test all things and hold fast to what is good. Our responsibility in receiving a word from God is to not quench the spirit by despising it. Nah, God doesn't prophesy, oh, this is rubbish. No, no. But to test, okay, okay, I'm receiving this word. What is of God? And I will take that. And what is not? That will just drop off. I'll let that fall to the ground. That's our role to receive. It's like when you eat a fish, you eat the yummy flesh and you take out the bones. You don't eat the bones. Please don't eat the bones. You don't eat the bones. <laughs> Just the flesh. Because if we're mature in our understanding in this as a church, it actually creates a place with more freedom for us to share and express the heart of God to one another. If we know how to give and to receive, we are all freed up to be able to do it more and to see the gifts of God flowing in this place. That is what we want. So the leadership doesn't have to be the gatekeeper of what's right or wrong. Unless there's something anti-Jesus, there's much more freedom when you are equipped to discern for yourself. How do we discern, I hear you ask, well, I'm happy you asked because I have five handy points for you. How do we, no, they don't all start with the same letter. I was running out of time to get this produced. Anyway, <laughs> how do we discern if something is from God? First of all, in, uh, it is by the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. We have the Holy Spirit, and it is by the Spirit we discern the Spirit. Sometimes you hear something and your spirit leaps. Sometimes you hear something and your spirit groans a little bit. Be sensitive to what your spirit is saying. And when, you, when, you, when your spirit groans a little bit, the next step you could do is step two, is it edifying? Because in 1 Corinthians 14.3, it says, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. The word that you're receiving, is it making you feel those things? Is that its outcome for you? Build up, stir up, cheer up. Number three, does it align with God's word in Scripture? 
2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God will never contradict what he says in his word. Number four, does it glorify Jesus? John 16 verse 13 says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So we know that a prophetic word through the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Number five, what sort of fruit does it produce? Romans fourteen seventeen that says, For the kingdom of God is not eating or drink and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3.17 it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So does the word produce fear or peace? Does the word produce a heavy burden or joy? And one last point I'd like to make is be cautious with directive words. Not because God doesn't speak that way, he does. But because, like I said before, there's always something of ourselves and what we bring, and a directive word, when we bring a directive word, and it's maybe not quite right or a bit wrong, we have the potential to do harm. So if you have a word that you think is, oh, this is quite directive for someone, it's telling them, by directive I mean you're telling someone what they should do or how they should do it. Then take it to people that you trust, ask them to pray about it, ask the elders to pray about it. And, and if they all say, yep, we think, it's, we think it's right, go and deliver it. And tell them to seek confirmation. Not just take your word for it. Oh yeah, and take someone with you. Similarly, if, you, if somebody comes up to you and says, Steve, I feel the Lord's telling you to sell your house, move to uh, Africa and be a missionary. You know what? Maybe the Lord is saying that. But the higher the risk, the greater the confirmation you should never do something that someone tells you that God is telling you to do that without getting your own confirmation. You are free to do that. Don't let anyone manipulate you or talk you into doing something that may or may not be God without you yourself getting confirmation from him. If he wants you to do something, yeah, he might use other people to tell you, but he will also tell you. Why don't we stand here this morning? You know, it's, it is our desire as a church to see more of Jesus made manifest in this place. Not just in our services, but in our day-to-day lives. 
that we know how to steward him, how to release and how to receive. We all have the Spirit of God and as a result, you know, we all have everything we need to prophesy to one another. But it is our responsibility as growing and mature Christians to use prophecy in the manner that God intends, both in delivery and how we receive, with the end result being a strengthened, encouraged, and comforted church. Built up. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That everything comes from you. Every good thing comes from you. That you say in your word that we are to meditate on good things. Because we know that you're a good God. And so we thank you that sometimes you speak through us to one another. We'd love to see you made manifest in this place. We love what you're doing here already today. We just thank you that you would continue to do your work in our hearts and in our lives. That we would have opportunities this week. That you would ambush us unexpectedly with words for our colleagues, for our co-workers, for our family. That we would be conduits of what you are doing and what you are saying and what you have established already in the heavenlies. Amen.